those of you who uh, who were here in in March, March 19th, and then two weeks ago, uh, May the 7th, uh, were able to hear the two messages uh, previous to these, to to this one today, and uh, and I'm going to recap quickly what we talked about in a matter of one or two minutes. But before I forget, actually, I should have shown this to you. Uh, this is a nice uh, flower uh, picture, and here we have some vegetables and, and fruit. And this was colored by Connie Forbes, and she sent this to the church as a gift. We we're going to pin it up some, some, somewhere in the basement. And she says that she misses our fellowship, and she loves each and every one of you. So here is her gift for us, and uh, we do appreciate that. We thank that. Please keep her, continue to keep her in your prayers. But we talked about a common denominator that we all have, and that's a sin. We talked and we saw that we all have been infected by sin. And uh, sin is not only sinful actions or wrong things that we may, may do. Sin is actually something that resides in us. According to the words of the Apostle Paul, sin resides in it. It's kind of a law that kind of regulates, controls our members. And we saw also in the Bible that one of the aspects of this struggle we have against sin is called in the Bible temptation. And we studied the temptation of Eve. And I think some of you remember it. When I asked, what was Satan appealing to when he tempted Eve? Was he, te was he appealing to, to her pride? Was he appealing to, to her greed? Was he appealing to her uh, uh, covetousness? And we came to the conclusion that she didn't have any of those. She was still pure and perfect and innocent. So Satan was appealing to some of the characteristics she had. But he was appealing that she used them in a way that was outside of God's plan. And we also talked about the temptation of uh, Adam. Adam uh, was tempted because he loved Eve so much, so much. And he ended up eating of the fruit because he couldn't conceive the idea of losing his wife. So again, he, he used his love, which was a good thing, a positive thing, but in a way that had not actually been prescribed by God. And we also talked about the temptations of Jesus, who was the one who was able to overcome every temptation that came his way. Because Jesus, again, he was pure, he was perfect. There was no sin in him. But he, he was tempted to use all of those uh, qualities and characteristics in a way outside of God's plan. But he resisted it. So we saw that temptation is not only something external. It has an external component, but it also has something internal. According to the Bible, James chapter 1, 13 through 15, James says that everyone is tempted according to the lusts in their own minds. So we may be stimulated by things we see and things we hear and things we read and things we, we might even say, but those are things that actually uh, kind of uh, excite or stir uh, some things that we already have, some characteristics and qualities that we already have. 
Now, differently from Adam and even Jesus, we are sinful. While they were not when they were tempted. So we are sinful. And then, uh, many of the things that we have in our minds and many of the characteristics of our personalities and everything, they are already sinful. So temptation is this aspect of the struggle we have with sin where we, we are tempted to do some things outside of God's plan. Now, let me tell you a, a, a story here. It's not quite a story, but let me bring you some, some information. I don't know if you've ever heard of a city called Longyear Bean. It's, uh, it's in an archipelago. Uh, it belongs to Norway, right? But it's outside there in an Arctic Ocean. So it's a, an island, a, a group of islands there. So this one city in that archipelago, it has roughly a population of 2,000 people, not too many. And most permanent residents there, they're actually foreigners. They were not born in Norway. But every year they receive thousands of tourists. And everyone going out there, whether a resident or a tourist, they have to go by air. They have to fly in there. Now, there is a nice uh, network of roads in that city. Uh, there is a nice network of roads of about 50 kilometers or 30 miles. But the one interesting thing is <clears throat> that the roads only take you to places in that town. There is no connection to any other town around the archipelago. So if you want to get there, you got to go there by air. And then you can own a car. There are car dealerships there. You can have a car and you can move around, but you can only stay in that town if you're driving yourself. There is no way out. And there is another thing interesting about long year being in Norway. That it is illegal to die in that town. It's true. I'm not making this up. It is illegal to die there. And I don't know if anyone can can have an idea why is that, but the reason is that since 1950, dying in the, in the town has been banned after they discovered that the corpses buried were not decomposing because, because of the cold. So what they do now, when someone is, you know, getting to their, their final days, they actually fly them back to the mainland, to the continent, to Norway, so they can have their final days there, but they are not allowed to die there. Actually, uh, they found in some of those corpses, they found live samples of the virus that caused the Spanish flu back in 1918. They still found virus in those corpses. So that's why they now take all people to die in the mainland. The houses are built on stilts because, you know, the, 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 the f ground is what they call the permafrost. It never, it never thaws. It never melts. So they don't really build the houses on top of it because the, the, the heat, the warmth of the house might, might uh, melt the ice. And that would make the house unstable. But what really calls my, uh, draws my attention here is the fact that once you get there, you can't really get out of there. Except you come back the same way, the same way you went. And that really got me thinking. Because you know, some of us may 
sometimes feel like that. Maybe you come to a point where, where there is no way out. And you realize that to get out of that situation, you have to go back. You may go from place to place. You may go from, from failed plan to failed plan. From useless effort to useless effort. And you bang your head on the wall. And you try this and you try that. And you trip and f fall. Only to realize that there is no way out. Except you go back. Now, if sin, if any situation is overwhelming anyone, don't fall for it, but fall on your knees and ask the Lord to help you. If temptation seems irresistible, fall on your knees. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Claim God's promises. God has provisions to give you victory over temptation. But there comes a point where you have to listen to God's voice telling you to make a U-turn to come back. There is another town in the Bible. There is another town where people would come from all the places in the world. In this town it was legal to die. In this town houses were not built on stilts. But this town would receive people from all places in the world then. It's the city of Jerusalem. And one of those reunions. In the city of Jerusalem. Is the one described here in the chapter 2. Of the book of Acts. Here the Bible is making reference to. Many people coming for a special event. And they were gathering there. It was not the summer vacation. It was the Passover ceremony. And they were there for the Passover. Jews that lived uh, outside of Jerusalem. They would all come for this special event. And they were there for the Passover. And also for the, for the ensuing feast. The feast of the weeks. You know the feast of the weeks. There, there was a special celebration for that. That happened exactly on the 50th day after Passover. It was called in Hebrew the Shavuot. The 50th day after Passover. And that's where we get the name Pentecost. As we know we have the Pentateuch. Five. We have the pentagram in music. Five, five lines and four spaces. Those who studied music. And then we have the Pentecost. The 50th day after Passover. So they are all gathered there. Preparing for the Shavuot. Preparing for the day of Pentecost. And then something supernatural happens. Something really unexpected. And here is how the Bible describes it. Chapter 2 of the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Nobody really understood what it was. But it caused a commotion. Then not only there was this sound of a rushing mighty wind. There appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues. 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were all together there. And when this rushing mighty wind sound come, came, when it occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Because everyone heard them, the apostles, the disciples of Christ, everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is that? That we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Now, others mocking said, They are full of wine. But Peter, the one we studied this morning, that one, the impulsive disciple, he stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, all of you who are here now, let this be known to you and heed my words. But these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It was around nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quote Joel, quotes Joel here. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Keep that promise in mind here today, okay? Keep that in your heart. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Man of Israel, Peter continues, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in, our, in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified him and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it, should be held by death. For David says concerning him, and now he goes on to quote David, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. 
Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And then he goes back talking to the men. Men and brethren, let me, Peter, speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he was both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us here to this day. Therefore, being him a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to his flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, David, foreseeing this, spoke in concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Amen. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this, which you now see in here. He poured out the Holy Spirit. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, here comes his appeal. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He made him both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive, you too shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Paul is saying here, repent and be baptized. And I'm going to talk about baptism another time. But I want to talk about repentance. I want to focus on Peter's appeal that they would repent. And you know, repentance means, means to think differently. To have a change of heart. To have a change of, of thinking. It is, not, it is not an action. It is a thought process. Repentance is a thought process that leads to conversion. Conversion itself is, a, is an action. That's when the GPS says, make a U-turn. Now the GPS I'm talking about here is not the global positioning system that you have in your car or in your phone. I'm talking God's plan of salvation here. That's the GPS I'm talking about. In God's plan of salvation... He appeals that you and I make a U-turn. As soon as we come to the realization of sin, we must follow up with the U-turn. 
You can't just stay there. You can't go further any longer. You have to make a U-turn. And if you hear the voice of the Lord calling you, then repent and be baptized. If the Holy Spirit has brought you under the conviction of sin, repent and be baptized. If you have come to the understanding that just being nice and being good and being kind and being a good neighbor and being nice and smiling to people, it's not enough to take you out of the pit of sin. Repent and be baptized. If you understand that we all need a Savior, if you understand that those who need a Savior are not only the religious, and on the other hand, those who need a Savior are not only the non-religious. The, the non if you understand that those who need a Savior are not only the Seventh-day Adventists. Or on the other hand, if you understand that those who need a Savior are not only the Baptists. Or the Presbyterians, or the Catholics, or the Methodists, or the Muslims, or the Jews or any other religious group for that matter. And when you understand that we all need a Savior, repent and be baptized. But pastor, I've already been baptized. Then repent anyway. Do not repent of being baptized. That's not what I mean, right? No, not of course. Well, repent. Repent of not being thoroughly true to someone. Repent of being jealous at someone else. Repent of looking down at people. Repent of building walls. Repent of building fences that eventually become walls. Repent of not being as open as you should have been to someone else's request for forgiveness. Repent of unkind, unkind words. Repent of your unkind treatment to someone else. Repent of hurting your own body by the things you eat, by not taking enough sleep. Repent of not taking good care of your body and mind. This structure that God gave you to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Repent of being so judgmental. And I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to you, don't look at anyone else. Repent of not giving the weak, the orphans, the widows, the assistance that they need. Repent of not helping the church work when the, ask, when the pastor asks you to, or the elder, when you could do it, right? When you had the ability to do it. Maybe you didn't see that one coming, right? But I have it here in my script, so I got to say it. You should repent. I tell you. I'm preaching to myself. Uh, I'm a minister. I'm paid to do this, right? But when I was not, I remember many times when I was asked to do something and I knew I could do it. But you know, out of convenience or slothfulness, whatever, I just said no. And I repent. I repent. So whenever I ask to do something in the church... Offer to the Lord the best that you have. Offer to Him the best. Because He didn't, he didn't, 
didn't keep himself from offering you the best that he had. He gave you your life. He gave you his life. So repent. Repent like Peter said. But remember that repentance is more than just an ordinary regret. There are many things that I, I regret. And I, uh, I remember when I came to Canada, I was presented to a, to a sentence that I had never really seen. But whenever people are invited to a meeting, they're encouraged to send their regrets. And then I was talking to a North America, to a U.S. friend, to an American friend, and he said, oh, that's funny. Uh, I'm going to send my regrets. I regret not having taken uh, swimming lessons, and I regret not, uh, not having attended my, my parents' uh, uh, birthday. But uh, they didn't know that expression. But, you know, people are, are encouraged to send their regrets. I regret not being able to be there. But that's something you don't really repent of. And uh, repentance is more than that. It's not only regretting something that you should have done and you didn't do and, and feeling bad about it. Repentance leads to that U-turn. Repentance leads to a change in direction. And so don't just regret it. Repent, make the U-turn, and the Savior will be waiting for you with an open heart. Friends, when Peter, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, when he preached to that multitude and showed them that Jesus was the Messiah, when he showed them that he was the one who, having given his life on the cross, had risen again, and now he was at the right hand of the Father. When through Peter's preaching, the Holy Spirit showed them how great a love Jesus had for them. And how he willingly accepted to be oppressed and to be afflicted. And like a lamb to be led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shearers, he never opened his mouth. He was silent. Oh, and they understood that. The Bible says that they were cut to their hearts. And then they asked the apostles, What shall we do then? Please tell me, what shall I do? It pains my heart to have caused the Son of God to suffer like that. And the answer you know, because I repeated it several times here. Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Repent. Repent. The last time I was preaching here, I, I told you a, a story of a deliverance that God gave me in an accident. I don't know, do you remember that? I mentioned that. But I, I realized that many details were missing in that story, so I want to fill you in with uh, a few more details. Uh, so the car was drifting on the water, and I did see a, a bus on the shoulder here collecting passengers. It was a highway, but still the buses would stop and pick up passengers. So this bus is there, 
And the, uh, the car is going in the direction of the bus. And the only thing I said here was that I claimed to God. And I said, oh Lord, help me. And the next thing I said here to you was that, oh, you see, I'm alive here, so the Lord didn't help me. But we did, we did crash. We didn't have a crash. We did go and, and crash the bus. And it was a real miracle because the, the front of the car, the, the hood and the, the, the engine, that front section of the car was, was totally smashed. But the, the, how do you call it? The, the cabin, right? The, the, the cabin, is that how we call it? Where, where you sit and where you drive? Yeah. So all of that was in perfect condition. Nothing actually happened. And I remember I was grabbing the, the steering wheel uh, really heavily. And, and I claimed, I cried out to the Lord. And I thought of my, my wife and children. And I said, I think this is going to be it. And then we hit. And then we hit. I had my, clothes, my, my eyes closed. And the next thing I, I knew was that I was still alive. And I said, well, we just hit the bus, but I'm still, I'm still alive. So I kind of licked around my, my lips to see if there was any cut, anything, any glass, whatever. But I saw that the windshield was perfect, perfect condition. And I saw that smoke coming up, which was the, the airbags. And my friend was here, and my friend looking at me, he said, Ivaldo, you're still alive. We've got to get out of this car. It's going to explode. I can see the smoke. But it was not fire. It was just the airbag. But uh, I now was afraid to get out of the car because I don't know if I had any, any, any bone that had been broken. And, but then I, I, I felt that everything was all right. The only thing I was feeling was just below my, one of my knees, which had hit the, the panel of the car. That was the only thing. I, I didn't feel anything worse than that. So I stepped out of the car. The car was, was totaled. Right, was a write-off, and but we were in perfect condition. So I praise the Lord for that. And as I told you, my daughter was nine days old. This was in 2004. She's turning 12 in five days. So I tell you, my friends, uh, I know that my Redeemer lives. You know. I know that he lives because of the deliverance that he gave me that day. I know that he lives because he's brought me a long way. I know that he lives because he's been changing my character. He's been removing the intolerance from my heart, the impatience, the judgmental heart that I have. And I do. And he's been changing that into a more patient, less judgmental, more patient, less judgmental, more tolerant person. I am not an eyewitness, an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection as Peter was. But I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that He lives because I talk to Him every day. And He hears me. And I hear His voice. I sense His presence. I feel His comfort. And I can say like Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And even after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold him and not another. How my heart yearns within me.
My dear friends, this is the Redeemer we serve. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. Repent, make a U-turn and serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Perhaps you have already accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you have been baptized. Maybe you have been coming to church for years and years. It doesn't matter. Repent and renew your commitment to the Lord. Don't say to yourself, the next time around I'll fix it. There's no next time. You don't want to take another wrong road to the wrong way. To the wrong destination. You want to make a U-turn right now. And the Lord knows your heart. And I'm talking to you now. I don't know what goes inside your heart. I don't know what goes in your mind. I don't know the struggles you have. I don't know the issues you have. Some of that you may have confided to me. Some of, some of that you may have talked to me already. And asked, asked pray for. But I don't know all. I don't know everything. But the Lord does. And He's inviting you. He's saying, I'm the one. I'm the one who through your sins, by your sins, I've been crucified. But make a U-turn now. Repent and be baptized. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless us all. May we renew our commitment to Him. And stay true to our faith. The Lord bless you all. Amen.